0: Welcome to Interchange. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. Interchange was founded inside of Bond, the embedded finance company, as a place for conversation, questioning and open learning about the future of embedded finance. Our guest today is John Beccia, CEO at FS Vector. John has a storied history from the depths of the banking industry to building the future of cryptocurrency compliance at Circle, one of the first movers in this space. In this episode, we cover John's unique journey into the world of fintech from the banking industry, why a licensing roadmap matters at every stage, and especially the early ones, and John helps us unpack what the future of policy might hold with this new administration. I hope you enjoy our interchange. Well John, you and I've been friends for a while now we've had the privilege of spending some time together in person granted it's been a long time we've done podcasts together previously so I'll link to what we've done with for fintech's sake so I don't have to you know go too deep into the the, the preamble of your life but, it's your fault for having an interesting life. So we're going to start uh, with a little bit of that. So give me, give me the John story. Give me the, the, where you're from and how you fell backwards into this world of, of compliance advising and, and everything else that you do at FS Vector. I think everybody has a story and it always seems to be that, you know, part of it is,
1: you know, luck, part of it is being in the right place at the right time. And I've you know, been fortunate in, in many regards in terms of the the journey, uh, but it's been a long and winding and, and fun Fun road, you know, lawyer by trade, you know, but not really traditional. Spent my, most of my career in financial services. Um, I don't want to age myself, but way too many years to mention. Uh, so it started mostly in the banking space, consumer financial services. And then for better or worse, I've always kind of worn multiple hats. So I've always been that in-house counsel, chief compliance officer, you know, doing AML, doing, you know, broad compliance work. Then also little government relations um, on top of that. And so I spent some time in Washington, DC prior, uh, doing some work for a large trade association, financial services roundtable. there. I guess it's the anti-fintech. So it was all the large, uh, banks, uh, the diversified financial services firms. Uh, and then, you know, then I was minding my own business. I was working for a private bank up here in Boston and, uh, got a random call from an outside counsel said, you know, the CEO of a new stealth startup wants to talk to you and it it's it something to do with this Bitcoin stuff. And I had no idea what that was or blockchain, Bitcoin. But yeah, that was the foray into fintech, I guess. Um, and, and I guess fintech on steroids, which was uh, Circle. So Circle, a was a startup back in 2013. And, you know, just literally walked into an empty office you know, employee five or six. And so yeah, it was a wild ride. And I was traveling globally, talking to, you know, law enforcement and other government agencies. Everybody wanted to know like, what is this? What is you know, what what is the purpose of this? What are the use cases? And then what are the risks? And so yeah, so I left that and started this firm called FS Vector. And I was fortunate circle to be introduced to Raj Date, who was we brought in early days to join the board. And Raj is well known, just a a great mind in the space. And him and I decided to kind of basically take what we were doing at Circle and broaden it out and you know provide that level of expertise to folks just in terms of like, how do you build a business uh, that's regulated in financial services?
0: You really wrote the book on a lot of the compliance practice, I think, that people have taken forward to today. And granted, things change, they ebb, they flow. But I imagine there's some kind of specific things from that book that you wrote at Circle that you've brought forward. I mean, one of the things you said was kind of going and talking to regulators and just helping people understand what this thing was. So, what are a couple of the the key things that you learned from Circle that you kind of just keep harping on over and over again in your life today? There's a lot of lessons
1: learned that education piece and being proactive on the compliance piece and and engagement with regulatory agencies or anyone in terms of the business is so helpful and such it does pay dividends. And so when you look at Circle, you know, getting the first bit license or getting investors to come in. Um, because of the way we approached uh, compliance and regulation. And that was just, you know, really something that I always tell my clients in terms of, yeah, listen, you, you need to educate those those people are going to have a, a say in what you do. They're going to want to understand, you know, you're you're probably going to be licensed or working with some kind of partner like a bank. Um, and you're also you're going to have to show and prove to them what how you've mitigated these risks. The flip side of that is you know don't let the regulation drive your business. I mean you have a, a strategy and a plan, and you know you should stick to that. You should really uh you know understand what the product is and get that product market fit. Um, certainly you want to protect the brand, and I I always advise people to, you know bring in people like myself early and often and you know the hiring is important and getting a person a chief compliance officer even early days I think is vital for these types of businesses because you want them understanding and being part of all these conversations, working with everybody within the organization, whether it's engineers or marketing or business development and partnership, that is so important. And then, you know, also thinking ahead, you know, to the extent you can, and and thinking about scalability is important. That's another issue with clients, early stage clients that we work with, you know, everyone's in a rush to get the market and then they don't, then they become very successful and then they don't realize that, you know, they've kind of cobbled things together and you know, they, then they have to go back to the drawing board a little bit because they haven't built a business that scales.
0: Do you run into, this, it's like the classic catch-22, I find, that how do you advise people on building for scale versus finding that product market fit? And there's like kind of a, there's a battle there, right? Because building for scale is in, the, in history before things like Bond, as an example, very expensive, but- just trying to get something out there. And then if it does work, everything breaks as soon as, you know, you actually have success. Like worst case scenario is the best case scenario. So how do you, how do you balance that? I mean, that's a big question and maybe there's not a good answer, but I'm guessing you have some thoughts. Yeah,
1: there's a big question. And there's many elements of that too, right? The initial thing that, you know, we take with clients and we just sit down and say, okay, listen, what are, what is your strategic, what is your business plan and what are the activities you want to do today? One of the activities you may want to do, And have flexibility, you know, 6, 12, 24 months down the road. Um, Because you need to think about all those things now because there's a lag when it comes to regulation and licensing and all these things. And that licensing roadmap is very important because it really impacts you. I mean, there's there's so many choices from a licensing perspective. You know, a lot of these FinTech are traditionally licenses at the state level money transmitters, lending uh, type of licenses, you know, other types of businesses like that. And now you're seeing, you know, a lot of these gravitating to more traditional charters like banking charters, ILCs. You know, there's been some talk around special purpose charters. Um, you see some of these uh, crypto firms getting special purpose charters in Wyoming, like a Kraken or trust charters through the OCC, like a Paxos or Anchorage. And these charters provide more flexibility in the long term and the ability to do a lot of different things. And then there's always thinking through the partnerships, the key partnerships and the bank partnership model, right? And so, you know, the company like Bond, you know a lot about that. All these are things that you really need to map out. Um, on the front end, and understand what is it going to take for capital, what is it going to take for talent, what is it going to take for technology. Well, and I think also, you know, last point on this is that you know, look at like the the, the recent the pandemic, and it just showed that you know people's behaviors just change, and we can be flexible and adaptable, um, and that really you know shows too in the financial services space, and that's why you're seeing all this um, you know development. And so for folks to think through scalability, it's around. Okay, where are we now? Where is the market? Where is it potentially going? Um, and when there are uh, advances in technology, how do we benefit from that?
0: Yeah, one of the things you said there that that really stuck out to me—that almost feels like it should be should be a codified buzzword in the space—is licensing roadmap. And we hear a lot about technology roadmaps. We hear a lot about you know just feature roadmaps. Yada yada yada. We need to build this. We need to build that. All of that makes sense. But outside of this conversation with you, I've never heard that term before. Is that something that you talk about a lot and that you're kind of almost helping folks work through? And is that nuanced and different for every company, even if they're kind of providing similar financial services, or is it pretty copy and pasty? Yeah,
1: you know, when you look at. Services regulation compliance, it comes down to two things really. You know, it's activities and risks, right? So, what is your activities based on those activities? It's going to put you in a certain bucket of, of being regulated. If you're a payments provider, if you're a lender, you know, some people do multiple, multiple types of activities, but yeah, essentially the regulatory road mapping is where you need to start out and say okay you know especially it doesn't really matter what stage you are i mean certainly at the early stage that you need to do that analysis to understand like how we're going to get to market um, and you know in those in those cases you know going through a 2 year uh, bank charter process is probably not going. You're not going to be patient to do that. And you're going to probably look for a different avenue. And so we see a lot of clients will want to you know seek out partnerships early stages or find ways to get the market to get that customer acquisition. And then maybe in the next stage they're looking to do uh, a different charter, type of charter but to give them more flexibility. You know, which is interesting. A lot of these fintechs you know started out as kind of monoline businesses you know, disintermediated banking and doing just payments or doing just lending. And then they say, hey, you know, we want additional revenue sources. So they want flexibility. So, you know, see at the growth stage, you're seeing folks think through like additional charters, Uh, additional geographic expansion. That's what we think of when we think of that kind of
0: regulatory mapping exercise. The rebundling versus unbundling versus, you know, we're, we're just throwing buzzwords at a wall right now, but that's kind of what Mm -hmm. we're talking about, right? Is this, as you said, the monoline side of things, we can use chime again as an example based on the bank reference Mm -hmm. we made earlier, but, you know, started with a very basic debit card. Um, The, worked as what it was needed to work for at the time and has expanded dramatically since then. The question though for me is, do you think that if you're going to start with a monoline product, get the monoline product out in the world, don't worry about the licensing roadmap for anything beyond that, or should they be thinking about the whole thing, right? Should they be thinking about, well, we know that we're going to want to do credit in six months. We know that we're going to want to do this six months after that. Do we just build the whole shebang as far as the licensing roadmap goes or is it, you know, one then two and you domino over time? Folks are pretty eager
1: to get to market and there's a a business opportunity and they have a real uh, interesting business model, business plan. And that you've seen that getting that customer acquisition or getting transaction values volumes provides you a lot of flexibility in terms of what you can do and then there's others have grander schemes and so they should be thinking about that at the front end because there is a lot of time and money and effort that goes into that and i think the other reason folks at some point you know have to think a little smaller is is what is your access to capital because it takes a lot of money to go through this process but I mean, on the on the financing, just as an aside, right now, I mean, the, the, the money is there. There's a good report by FT Partners that they put out on a quarterly basis, and their transactions uh, Q1 2021 was probably you know the best uh, transactions for the fintech sector in, in terms of value, uh, in terms of financings, uh, M and A activity. I mean, it's it, we're in kind of a, a golden period in, in terms of that, uh, and not to mention the the SPAC Transactions as well, and, and the company's going public.
0: Yeah, it's a. <laughs> isn't it funny how a year ago we weren't quite sure? Mm-hmm. You know, every everything went you know supposedly dry, right? Everything slowed mm-hmm. down, and then all of a sudden, it's actually the biggest opening of the floodgates that we've seen in I don't know a decade or something. Mm-hmm. It seems like.
1: Yeah, it was funny because I had a lot of you know earlier stage clients saying that you know we you know we're trying to graze and it's hard you know it's in the middle of pandemic and actually. You know, a lot of these VCs want to be able to actually meet with clients in person to get the understanding of the culture and the personalities. Right. And that was actually a real roadblock in some cases. But, you know, what I was telling them, listen, the money is there. And it was, I mean, there was there was funds that just were just, you know, flush with cash. And, you know, it, it, and you saw it, you know, it, you know, lo and behold, and, you know, until Q3, Q4. And now we're just it's just the, the money is just flowing.
0: Part of the reason I think that so much capital is flooding into these companies is summarized in something that I heard Peter Berg. Well, actually, I haven't heard Peter Berg from VGS's voice in a while because of the pandemic. But something I saw on Twitter that he said was that VGS does suffering as a service. I loved that as like a Mm -hmm. as a as a SAS pun. But it's, it's true, right? Everything that you're talking about in terms of putting together this technology, putting together licensing roadmap, all of it is an incredible amount of suffering that takes a lot of people. And even when you're working with great technology partners, right? Like we work with I2C as an example on the processing side. I2C is cutting edge as far as processors go, but it's still a, not an easy integration that, you know, that i could do right it's not a no code low code situation it's still there's barriers to entry there as potentially there should be but generically do you think the barriers to entry are kind of lowering with what we're seeing in the infrastructure
1: space i think it's getting easier because you're getting more institutional players you're getting more sophistication um i think the word you use that's important is integration and so i think a lot of the the uh, integration issues are started to be solved. Uh, you know, it was really clunky, especially in the partnership space, you just in terms of trying to get, you know, fintechs and the technology to mesh, leverage technology to gather data on the front end to really understand who our customers are, or understand what the risks are with transactions. And I think you've seen that over time, really develop. And so a lot of these things, artificial intelligence tools, machine learning, the maturity of the markets have made it a lot easier than it was, you know, five, 10 years ago.
0: The the way that we met, right, was through uh, Fountain City FinTech and having you in to Kansas City to meet a lot of different founders in my previous life and just the amount of value that they got out of spending 15 minutes in the room, you know, bouncing and uh, you know, most of them were doing very basic things like a savings account, you know, maybe very rarely debit issuance, something like that, but very straightforward stuff. And still in 15 minutes with you, they would, have 10x the understanding of what they were, what the next turn held or where the next landmine was kind of a thing. So I think there's just an incredible amount of value and even getting to spend small amounts of time with folks like you. So the question out of this, I guess, is really just kind of a commercial for FS Vector. Mm-hmm. Um Tell us about like, what are the, you know, I know you advise, I know you potentially do a little bit of lobbying. There's a couple mm-hmm. pieces to it, but what all does FS Vector do and how can, you know, how should the ecosystem be thinking about engaging with you? When should folks get in touch and things like that? We can do a lot of different things for people as an organization.
1: And we built this FS Vector to be able to help folks innovate. You know, we're not a firm, you know, there's a lot of consultants, advisors that are, you know, kind of more based on, you know, helping companies with small projects or companies get in trouble or doing that kind of, you know, fire drill type of thing. We're really built towards, you know, helping folks think ahead and think around how do I innovate, you know, whether it's early stage folks or whether it's the larger companies that are trying to do something big and bold. Um, you know, maybe in the crypto space or others, or that growth stage, the in between that are trying to say, hey, how do I scale this? You know, we or you know, what is next? Do we want to Do we need to get additional charters? Do we want to do an acquisition? Do we want to white label our product or do something else? Uh, and so, yeah, we work broadly with all different types of financial services firms in different verticals, uh, whether it's payments and lending and crypto. Um, and we've built a really strong team around it. I think we're, you know, now 20 plus folks. Um, and we have people like myself who can kind of been practitioners, we have consultants, we have a lot of former regulators, I think we have. Every agency covered, uh, you look at the ABC of all the agencies, you know, we have a a former mass banking commissioner, former chief counsel of the OCC, former SEC commissioner we just hired. And then the other piece, which is interesting, as an advisory firm is so very engaged on the policy side. So working with government stakeholders, federal and state, whether it's Congress, whether it's all these agencies that I mentioned, you know, we're in an interesting environment now. It's this convergence of, you know, we mentioned the golden age of fintech and everything that's happening and all the excitement. But there's also a lot of, you know, questions around that, you know, in terms of policy. You know, we have a new administration and, you know, there's going to be some changes in terms of the the review of these business models and what how does it impact the consumer, you know positively and negatively. And so there's a real need to educate. And that's what we do. You know, we go in there and we represent clients, we represent trade associations and helping, you know, talk through all these issues. And then, you know, what's also good is that we have this advisory side that can help shape those conversations because we're in there day to day. On the advisory side, we're doing the licensing, we're doing the product design, we're doing the the, in the weeds, compliance, risk management programs and implementation of reg tech tools. Acquisition of bank partners and think and working through diligence or working through with investors on uh, M and A transactions and the final piece is that we are, we are kind of an extension of the internal team because we way we operate is we typically have our clients on an ongoing engagement retainer and we um, we form long term partnerships so we understand the business and we can you know we deal with their most pressing need whatever comes up and we're. We're always thinking, you know, how do we help them from a business standpoint as well as a regulatory standpoint? So trying to take that creative, practical approach to things.
0: It's really good advice for the average person in the space to think about compliance as a piece of business strategy, not a box to be checked or something like that. And I think that's one of the the things about you all that is really unique is you kind of have this, this dream team of a bench that you can call on at any point to, you know, satisfy that need
1: yeah i mean i've said it many times but i mean compliance can be a business advantage can be a competitive advantage in the marketplace if you do it right and you embrace it and you know and then the other end of it i always you know as an internal team or managing compliance groups you know when we look at kpis or measurements or success um we only we also we look one at how obviously how we're managing the risk but also what impact does compliance have on the business, and, and how can we help the business? Right, so if we're going out and reaching out to the customer for information on, you know, on AML, um, are we doing it in a way that's disruptive, or do we doing it in a way? Uh, and then on the other side, um, and the other side, the data that we gain um, from, you know, doing our KYC and other work is that useful data that we can use to understand our customer better from a business perspective. So all those things really, they, they should be partnerships. It's not like, you know, the compliance team is, shouldn't be the police, um, you know, it should be more of a, a, a partnership. And I think the organizations that get that right, that one embrace compliance and then also that do it as an integrated uh, offering
0: tend to be really successful. Yeah, break down them silos, y'all. Break down them silos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You mentioned you mentioned a little bit earlier, and I am intrigued about your perspective on this. And maybe you have to be a little careful on how you phrase the answer. But what what mm-hmm. does the what does the Biden administration mean for fintech, for finance, for banking? Well, I'm always optimistic, so that's a, that's a good thing. Technology always outpaces
1: regulation. Um, there's a lot of things happening at once, and um, you know, it's difficult, you know, to, to manage it. And so I think that's the challenge there. It goes back to the one word I used before, which is education, really understanding. You can't Kind of regulate in a bubble you can't regulate without having all the facts and you certainly don't want the regulators to just take a blank piece of paper and I think that's why it's incumbent upon you know industry to be at the table and you're seeing now the development of a lot of these newer trade associations we work with the American FinTech Council that's just one of them but another group that's trying to come to the table and offer solutions and offer expertise and I think generally you know, we've seen a lot of maturity from the regulators in this regard. You see now every agency has an office of innovation. They've developed sandboxes that kind of do things in beta in a safe way to understand the impact. And there's lessons learned on both sides of it, whether it's industry or the regulators. And so, you know, that's that's kind of the backdrop. Now to to direct not to deflect, but to actually answer your question on the Biden administration, obviously, yeah, we're gonna see more emphasis on regulation. We're going to see, you know, the nomination that's a more progressive approach. You know, the nominations of the CFPB, the OCC, and other agencies will be very important. You know, some of that we've already seen. Some of it is still yet to play out. You know, a lot of the agency direction is led by the heads. Um, You saw with Brian Brooks as the active controller of the OCC, a lot of pro-fintech, especially pro- crypto you know things like allowing banks to be custodian of digital assets or allow or some of these charters now that you're seeing approved you know i mentioned paxos and anchorage earlier and others you're going to see some more emphasis on um both on the regulation side and enforcement side you know i think we didn't have a lot of enforcement actions over the last few few years under the previous administration so i would expect that to change Hmm. sometimes that enforcement sends a message in terms of types of activities that we can expect you know there's some focus on things like uh, small dollar lending or especially in the lending space, you know, the impact on consumers, you know, I mentioned the positive is access to capital, but are these, you know, these interest rate, you know, high APRs uh, or making credit decisions using artificial intelligence. Is it discriminatory? Does it, you know, what impact does it have? Um, certainly areas like crypto areas around um, inclusion will be looked at you know, cryptocurrency and blockchain. I think there's still a lot of gray and a lot of uncertainty there. And I think that will, you know, be a little more crystallized that the SEC now with uh, Gary Gensler as the chair, you know, he understands it uh, probably more than previous regimes. So I would expect to see uh, a tighter review. Not Doesn't necessarily mean there'll be more crypto friendly regulation, but at least a more uh, deeper engagement again i'm optimistic i think you know we'll have a, at the end of the day we'll have a measured approach but there's going to be you know work to be done on all, all sides of this
0: yeah i mean specifically on the cryptocurrencies piece you're an OG, right? I mean, you've you've seen this from the beginning. You built a lot of what was necessary to allow for a lot of the innovation that we've seen today. So let's see. I'm creeping on your LinkedIn here. You joined you joined Circle in 2013. So we won't talk mm-hmm. about the potential amount of money that you might have made had you put mm-hmm. money into Bitcoin at that point and just r- huddled and and ran it to this point, but. How much of your life is focused on answering questions about, you know, how do we allow for crypto trading? How do we allow for the long tail of crypto trading, maybe outside of Bitcoin and ETH and things like that? Like, are you spending a lot of time there or is it, you know, more so the classical stuff?
1: Spending a lot of time there. So I think it is going to get easier over time. I don't know what that one inflection point is, you know, in terms of providing the the ultimate clarity and certainty that we need. I mean, I think, you know, people point to, you know, certain steps or actions being taken like the SEC approving uh, ETF or, you know, having other types of, you know, entities coming to the market or banks, you know, allowing certain types of transactions or those types of partnerships. I mean, I think you see these incremental steps happening every day. Um, You look at Circle, you know, the stable coin, the USDC, you know, the circulation there, I think is up to like 15 billion, which is phenomenal. Um, You know, so these, These these things are happening day in, day out, you know, outside of everybody wants to look at what the price of Bitcoin is. Right. And so we're and and wants to talk about Elon Musk. You know, we've come a long way since 2013. Jeremy Allaire, the CEO of Circle, always said, you know, especially dating back to the internet a lot of these things have a, a you know a 20 year life cycle and i think that's right the parallel to that is the regulatory environment which i think there's you know more comfort i would say around these businesses is there work to be done yet yes there's a lot of work to be done a lot of questions to be answered but clearly on a really upward trajectory here
0: yeah it's am- it's amazing to me how much of this comes back to Building relationships and having conversations and making sure that before you take a step in a heavily regulated direction that you at least have, you know, your I's dotted, your T's crossed and have at least gotten some semblance of a blessing if you're doing something really novel, which leads me a little bit kind of towards the end of this conversation. The goal of interchange itself really is just to educate, to tell stories, to take you know, things out of the brain of people like you that have been in this industry and have seen it ebb and flow and grow through the last, you know, however many years, and to share that learning openly. So one of the things that I love about FS Factor is that you do this thing called RAFT, which stands for regulatory and fintech training, which I think is something that regulators could have a little bit more fintech Mm -hmm. training and fintech oriented mm-hmm. folks could mm-hmm. probably have a little bit more regulatory training. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Like how can folks get more info about mm-hmm. that? What is it? Um, and then also how can folks get in touch with you if they're wanting to learn more about FS Vector?
1: Yeah, the, the raft is pretty cool. You know, we're looking to expand it. We've been doing it. Uh, we started out doing it as an in-person thing, which was fun because it provided a lot of networking opportunities. But we also, then we, last year we did it uh, as a virtual event and had amazing attendance and, you know, speakers and participation. It's meant to be kind of an extension of all the things that I talked about here and just really, you know, folks that give a, you know, kind of a broad understanding of the marketplace, the investments, uh, the market opportunities, products, you know, who's out there, who's doing what. And then, you know, we have a lot of, brought in a lot of regulators, a lot of other folks to kind of provide that perspective as well. Um, and so it's meant to really and then, you know, do a deeper dive into certain areas um, and, and get to provide that kind of practical expertise. And I think that's what we like to do. You know, also at prospectors, I think one of the good things that we work with so many different types of clients in so many different areas um, that we can take those lessons learned and apply them, you know, when we're having those conversations. So I think, you know, people are interested in Raft. they definitely can go to the website at or if they want to get in touch with me, my uh, email is jbeccia, B-E-C-C-I-A at fspector.com. Feel free to ping me anytime. I know I just love talking to people. Um, you know, my approach is just you know, happy to, to talk, to network, to understand what you're doing, happy to um, think through things. You know, so, so, like I said, I've talk to a lot of people early stage. And I'm happy to have you know informal conversations, doesn't necessarily always have to end up in an engagement, happy to refer you or make introductions. And um, yeah, because we're always excited to learn what's going on out there and, and help it if we can. And that's also the approach we take with our clients. So we're here, um, we have a pretty good team and we're happy to, like I said, talk to anybody anytime.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Interchange with John Beccia. As I said at the beginning, Interchange was founded inside of Bond to benefit the founders, bankers, and humans working inside the next generation of financial services. We hope that you're learning, enjoying, and maybe even laughing along. We really do love this world and we're passionate about every piece of it. And that's why we want to help. Let us know what you'd like to learn more about, who you'd like to hear from, and what's getting you out of bed in this wild world of fintech in which we live. If you'd like to learn more about Bond, please reach out. You can get a hold of me at Zach at bond.tech. Let's start a conversation. Check out the show notes and the Bond blog for a deeper dive if you're still listening and just can't get enough. All of this can be found at bond.tech. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and a rating in your favorite podcast app. It would be appreciated. Until our next interchange.